Father, we come before you this morning, and we come, Lord, and we just, we thank you that we can come. We thank you that in the midst of war, even as we uh, we thank you for the veterans and we thank you for uh, their service and sacrifice, we thank you for them. We also come in light of uh, not just the physical war that we have around us, but the spiritual war as well. Lord, this morning, realizing that there is a war going on, and that war is terrible. There is lives and souls at stake. And the spiritual forces of darkness would have us Follow the way of death instead of the way of life, which is Christ and in Christ alone. And as your children, Lord, we are faced with temptations all around us. We are faced with this war continually, day by day, hour by hour, even even now as we come to worship you, and especially now as we come to worship you. The battle is being waged, and to our passage this morning, it is not a passage that is going to be unfamiliar with warfare. It will require us to battle and fight, because we will be tempted to say, sin is okay, to say, what has become respectable, or there perhaps are respectable sins that we will be okay with them in our lives, but you call us, Father, to live this new life that we have in Jesus Christ. You call us to walk in the newness of life. So, Father, as we come to a passage that will be difficult, that will try us, and it will try us deep down, we pray that, Father, you would give us grace as we come to your word. You would protect us from the spiritual forces of darkness and the lies that they would have us to continue in. Instead, we would not believe the lies and we would fight against sin and self and follow Christ because you have given your children new life in him. And so we ask, Father, for your grace as we come. Help us, Father. We look to you. May your spirit lead us and lead me as we go to your word in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, we are continuing our walk through the letter of Colossians. And as we continue in Paul's letter to the Colossians this morning, you know, it, it may be tempting to look at what Paul says here, as we will see in a moment. As we see what Paul says today, uh, it may be tempting to see it really as simply another form of moral re- rehabilitation. We might be tempted to think that what Paul is calling for us to do is simply a Christianized form of moralism. Moralism, you know, it's the idea that you are to live upright, you're to live good, you know, you're to avoid vices, you are to embrace virtues, either 
you know, without God at all, or in order to gain approval from God by what you do. Benjamin Franklin, you know, he was known for contributing to many fields, from printing to science to politics. He was also known as a moral pragmatist. He would carry with him a journal with 13 virtues that were listed along the side column and on the top column, and he would have all the days of the week listed as well. And each week he would focus essentially on one of the virtues, and he would mark when he had failed to live up to one of the virtues on that day. You know, his goal was moral progress. You know, it was a moral rehabilitation effort. Now, I mean, Benjamin Franklin has done many, many great things, but did many great things. And not to say we can't even learn from this, from him, but this disciplined effort that he gave, you know, is for us as followers of Christ, we are not simply, you know, after moral rehabilitation. We are not seeking to be moralists. We are not simply about rearranging our furniture. We are after a grace-based, spirit-empowered sanctification. And so we press on in Christ, unto Christ, pursuing to be conformed to Christ because we are new in Christ. So this morning, our passage is urging us onward. It's urging us onward to live according to the new life that you have in Christ. So, if you have a Bible, please turn with me to Colossians chapter 3, and I will be reading actually beginning in verse 1 of chapter 3 until verse 11. May God bless the reading of his inspired and errant and authoritative word. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then also you will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now, you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all. And in all. Amen.
Well, as I read this passage, and even as I prayed a moment ago, as you may have noticed, this is not an especially positive passage. I mean, this doesn't quite fit into the positive thinking movement. (laughs) I mean, this isn't going to just make you feel good about yourself. These are things that are difficult, things that you're going to have to fight with and struggle with. You know, so it may be helpful here to think of these like a doctor's prescription. You know, we are to receive these as remedies for our good. So in, in view of this remedy, our response is not to be, oh, but doctor, the prescription requires too much of me. I love my ailment too much to do all this. Instead, may our hearts say, this is good medicine from a good doctor, and I will take it. By the Spirit of God, help me be conformed to Christ. And so let us come to this passage and take this good medicine for us. Hence, here is our prescription. You can follow along in your sermon notes as well. Seriously, mortify your sin. Vigorously mortify your sin. So the basis of mortifying our sin, you know, is all we've seen so far in this practical letter here, but especially, you know, in the verses, you know, we looked at last week, which I began with verses 1 through 4, that you have been raised with Christ as the redeemed of the Lord. So seek and set your minds on things above and mortify what is earthly in you. But why do I use that word? Mortify. Well, because it it vividly portrays the battle that we're in with our sin. Instead of being killed by sin, we must put our sin to death. It must be put down. It must be killed. As those new in Christ, we must not trifle with sin. Its aim is always to undo you. And it will. As the Puritan John L. Owen rightly said, be killing sin or will be killing you. Well, most of the vices listed here, they are outward acts. But realize, and, and realize this well, that these outward acts originate within. This is an inward search. And that's why this comes to us this morning as difficult. That's hard. Self-denying work. But as Paul urges us, let us come and rise up for you have, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit of God you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. 
So instead of sin killing us, let us go this morning to the operating table. And let us do this very challenging, difficult, real work and kill our sin. Operation mortification. So first, then, here, let us unhitch from the allure of lust. So four out of five of the vices that Paul, he lists here, have to do with sexual sin. And all of them have to do with what you desire. So we would be at miss to lay these aside because because they're just simply not easy to talk about, right? These this first these first few of the, these first few vices we see here we don't go about talking about these. But we would be amiss to think that these vices listed here are something that Christ's church this time, my goodness, at this time that we should not address. Well, especially today, as so many being waylaid by these, we must address them. I mean, just this past week, and you, you probably heard, you know, a well-known Christian comedian, you know, he admitted to succumbing to sexual sin. You know, and he has essentially discredited his ministry. I mean, you probably have watched him on Facebook and, you know, YouTube and Netflix and uh, Amazon Prime and so on. But sadly, this this is only one instance. And as much as we would like to say, well, that that's shocking. Well, it is shocking, but is it surprising? And is that is that trouble us that it's not surprising? Another Christian comedian or leader has succumbed to sexual sin. So this is just becoming more and more common. Right now, you know, sex it is a billion dollar industry. So it will not do for us simply to say, well, I'm not comfortable talking about these things, so let's just skip them. Let's just kind of brush them under the rug. No, we are told to put these to death. The range of sexual sin that Paul is addressing here, they include these, adultery, fornication, prostitution, pornography, and yes, and I mean this in all love, it also includes unnatural sexual relations like the LGBTQ variety as well. In other words, you know, these include, in summary, really, any sex that is not within the marriage relationship between husband and wife. You just want to simplify it? Anything outside of that falls in this category. Paul, he names these because it is the habit of sin to remain hidden. But out of all of it, if you notice here, covetousness, it kind of seems out of place, but it gets to the heart of all of these. All of these are a worship problem. All of these are vying for what? Not just your external actions. They are vying for your hearts. 
let me plead with you. Do not go there. None of these will ever be sufficient. Hear that now. Even as perhaps you're struggling with it, you're fighting the fight, it will not be sufficient for you. C.S. Lewis, he famously said, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. So it's not that you are missing out by not doing these. It's that you are missing out by doing them. You were made by God and you were made for God and to be satisfied in Him through Christ. So our remedy is to cease being tantalized by a lesser satisfaction and to be satisfied in God. Fight for your joy in Him. Practically, do war against this sin by fighting with your browser settings. Fighting with your apps and your social media accounts. Fighting, asking other Christians to keep you accountable. Remember, the nature of our sin is to want to remain hidden. And so when you bring it out into light, God works. And so don't keep it hidden. Come and tell other Christians to keep you accountable, encourage you, help you. Don't go it alone. And if you're here and you have heard me say, you know, all this, you're thinking, you know, that I'm, I'm using religion as a guise for hate. This is really what the culture is telling you what we are doing here. Please understand that this is not what this is about. These words here are words wrought of mercy. It says God's wrath is coming. And it is God who is mercifully seeking to lead his church and mercifully calling you to come to the fountain of life through Christ. It's not hate. It is born of love. And as evidence of this, if we need more, these aren't the only sins that are brought up here, are they? It goes on. So we are also called Church, to do away with relationship-destroying vices. So this next list of vices has to do with others. So he exhorts us, exhorts us to put them all away. You know, We are here to open our spiritual closets, if you will. You know, often, you know, I'll have a shirt, or you probably the same way, you know, and, or pants that, you know, are in my closet. 
that I don't really wear anymore. And I know at times that may be annoying to my wife, Megan. You know, why aren't you getting rid of this yet, you know? And I get it. But, you know, I keep it there just in case. I think, you know, sometimes we do this with our sin. We don't put it away. We just hang it back up just in case we may want to go back to it again. Just in case we want to put it back on. Well, Paul tells us to put them all away. Get rid of it. Empty the closet. And at the root of these, sinful anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene or you know, abusive talk, at the root of these is us. You know, what's going on inside of here in your heart? So at the root of these is our desire to be God. You know, we desire and we do not have, so we what? We fight. We want our way and we don't, we don't get it. We're, although we as adults can mask it pretty well, you know, our children don't mask it as well, but when we don't get it, what do we do? We explode, we fume, we plan to harm other people behind the scenes, in our hearts, in our minds, we're thinking about how can we strategically begin undoing someone with our actions and words. And harmful they are. You know, there's a story told of a little boy with a bad temper. You know, having witnessed his son's bad temper, you know, the boy's father, he gave him you know, a bag of nails and he told him to go to a fence in the yard and nail uh, one nail at a time into uh, into the fence each time he loses his temper. And so the first day, well, the boy didn't, I mean, he nailed a bunch of nails. I think it was like some 37 nails he nailed into this fence. So he was an angry young man. Well, over time, the boy found it was easier to hold his temper, uh, easier to hold his temper than to drive nails into the fence. So eventually, you know, over weeks and so on, the boy did not lose his temper at all. So after telling his father this, you know, the, the father suggested, you know, uh, he pull out uh, a nail for each day that he held his temper. So after another day, all the nails were pulled out and the father, you know, he shook his son's hand, you know, great job, and they walked over to the fence. And so he talks to his son and he says, son, you've done well. But look at the fence. You see all those holes there? The fence will never be the same again. When you get angry and you hurt others, slander, gossip against others, with your actions or words, they leave a scar like this one. You can put a knife into me and draw it out, but it won't matter how many times you say you're sorry. The wound will still be there. It is no wonder then that God, he calls his church, you and me, to deal with these. So by the Spirit of God, may these vices be put to death. And since at their core is our pride, our way, our control, our desire to be in the place of God, I want to give you two questions here that may 
And I would encourage you to use them like a sword to pierce through the blinding nature of these sins because they are blinding. When you are in the midst of anger and wrath, you will justify it. I guarantee it. I've done it many times. And so have you. We need something to pierce through the fog. As malice plans hurt, as slander intends to destroy, as harmful words have their target. So the first question you can ask yourself is, is what you're doing, is your response glorifying to God? You ask that part right there, and that's almost enough. You had all your justifications. Well, they just went out the door. It's not glorifying to God. And is it loving the other person? A second question. Mindful of the gospel that you have received is to ask this question. Is your response how you would want God to treat you? You know, these questions, they're simple, but they get to the heart of the matter. And perhaps it may be good that you would write these down, keep them with you. And that's waging war. You want to do that. Do not let sin have the upper hand in you. But before we move on from these vices, there is one more vice that Paul, he lists here, that we are to put away. Do not be conformed to the devil. So you may be wondering, what in the world are you talking about, Pastor? You know, be conformed to the devil. Let's read the passage. Do not lie to one another. Well, who lies in Scripture? It's not God. Who lies to you? It's not God. Who deceives? Who manipulates? Who spreads falsehood? Well, it's not God. When we lie, we aren't imaging our Savior. We're conforming to our enemy. So instead, as those who have been bought by Christ, we are to be like Him. So in view of these many vices, let us intentionally, radically, and seriously then, put our sin to death. Kill it, brothers and sisters. And not as moralists, but as Christians. By grace, by the Spirit of God, with Christ in you, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you to will and work for His good pleasure. But as you do, there's one more that may creep up. Perhaps you're graining ground here, you know. You come to church, you're feeling pretty holy, you know. Hey everyone, you know, look at me. I am the pastor, you know. Bow down, you know. That's how we get, right? I mean, look how holy I have become. Well, let us not be tempted by this other vice as well, pride. But know that progress in holiness is no grounds for pride. Verse 7, what does it say? In these you too once walked. 
So remember, you are a recipient of mercy. And your sanctification, your growth in godliness is a mercy as well. For it is God who that will work in you to will and work for his good pleasure. So in all humility, may we live according to the new self. Do not, it says, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. So the words here are not, if you notice, if you pay attention, they are not in the present tense. They're in the past tense. So you have put off the old self and you have put on the new self. So be encouraged, it's already done. If you know Christ, the old self has been put off and the new self has already been put on. You are a new creation in Him. The power of sin has been broken in you. The old self, in which you were born into this world under Adam, has been put off and you now have put on the new self under Christ. And you are under Christ. But perhaps this passage and these list of vices here have confirmed for you, not that you know Jesus, but that you don't. Perhaps you have realized you have not put on Christ. You have not put on the new self, but you are still clothed with the old self. And so with each of these, realize that God, He is right now, He is mercifully calling you to see that you need Christ. Moralism will not save you. Sin is overwhelming. Its weight is a burden and will be until it is thrown off. So God, He bids you come to His Son this morning. He has borne it upon Himself and He came to bear the wrath of God in your place. He came to save the sinner so whether you are young or old, come to Him and He will satisfy your weary soul. But if you know Christ here today, let us resolve to be renewed aright. Let's live according to who we are, to the new self, which by God's hand is being renewed. Be shaped and formed this knowledge after the image of our Creator. Be made into the likeness of His Son through whom the Father created the world. So let Christ define you. And see that Christ defines you and not your sin. You know, sin, it wants to define you. It wants your identity. You, think about that. Sin wants your identity. Is that not what we're seeing everywhere around us? That sin is saying, I want you to be defined by me. So when it tempts you, O oh follower of Christ, have you considered me lately? I would like your time. If you would, just a moment, just one minute, let our answer be by no means. Jesus is my life. 
Jesus is my all. Jesus is the one who defines me. I have on the new self. And he is my life. So in such a light then, Paul, he ends here with us. Christ's church being Christ's church because he does define us. It isn't whether you are a Jew or a Gentile. It isn't our ethnicity or our race. It isn't our social status. It's Christ. He is our clothing and he is the one in the midst of everyone here with all your personalities, from all your backgrounds. He is the one who unites us. We come here under the culture of Jesus Christ. And so let us then unashamedly wear Christ. Let us vigorously mortify any blotch upon this garment. And let Christ be all because Christ is all and in all. Let's pray.